Hello and welcome to No Character Limit. My name is Robert Thurk, and today we are going to hear part seven of my book, God in the Frontier, the impact of the 19th century burned-over district and the psychology of faith. In today's part, I am going to focus on the religion of Mormonism. But because this chapter is so long, I'm going to have to split it up into two parts. So the first half will be in this part, part seven, and I will finish it up in part eight of this series. With that, uh, please like, rate, or review if you've been enjoying this series so far. If you would like to donate, I would really appreciate that, as each episode takes countless hours to get it out to you like this. With each donation, you can get a PDF copy of my book, which has a lot of really interesting images that accompany the text that you just don't get in the podcast format. So I won't hold this up any longer. Let's get to it. And please enjoy part seven of God in the Frontier. Chapter 8. Mormonism. An American Prophet, an American Empire. Part 1. What's in a Name? Mormonism is perhaps the paragon of the religious fervor that swept over 19th century America. Like Charles Grandison Finney, its leaders inspired pure faith and passion. Like John Humphrey Noyes of Oneida, the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith was highly charismatic, a natural leader and orchestrator of communal living, while sexually involving himself with multiple young girls as wives. Noyes and Smith were in fact so similar that, according to one of the descendants of Oneida, Noyes fled to Canada because he believed when the American government went after the Mormons that they would turn on him next. Like Adventism, Mormonism grows to become a widely popular and successful religion, with a variety of branches and a leader that predicted the second coming of Christ. And just like spiritualism, Mormonism has attracted high-profile followers and is founded upon a person's mysterious interpretations of the spiritual realm. And like the Chautauqua Institution, Mormons have put a powerful emphasis on education and the arts. Having its origins forged in the furnace of the burned-over district, the birth of Mormonism is the archetypal Second Great Awakening narrative. So many aspects about Mormonism are polarizing for both people within and outside of the faith that it makes it a difficult topic to discuss without disagreement. 
despite nearly every aspect about Mormonism having some controversy surrounding it, they are often portrayed as a friendly, open, respectful, family-first stereotype. And Mormons themselves typically embrace this benign caricature, even though there is so much more worth exploring about this 16 million follower-strong religion. The state of Utah was essentially founded by Mormons, and perhaps only Maryland for Catholics and Massachusetts for Puritans were the only other states founded with a specific denomination of religion in mind. Most people have met a Mormon through their intensive missionary program, which currently sends out 65,000 men and women annually where their primary purpose is to convert new followers to Mormonism. A pair of young, same-gendered adults have knocked on doors across the world asking if they would like to learn more about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the name of the main Mormon church. While outwardly friendly, the tactics typically employed by the missionaries are assertive and even perceivably aggressive, as believing that they are sharing the true word of God, they don't want to be shut out. Despite their determination, they are met with more defeats than successes, but this only strengthens them, binds them closer together demonstrating to themselves that most of the world is truly misled. While Mormonism is an umbrella term for anyone who follows the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, there is only one church that dominates the faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The LDS Church has a near monopoly on Mormonism, with about 96% of all Mormons belonging to it. And already, here is where the controversy begins. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doesn't want to be called the LDS Church, or the Mormon Church, or even the Church of Latter-day Saints. They want people to use the full nine-word name. But if someone is going to abbreviate their name, they do offer some direction, including using the phrase, the church, which is often associated with the much older and more established Catholic church, or the Church of Jesus Christ, or the Restored Church of Jesus Christ. Yet, these alternative names offered by the church can seem disingenuous for other denominations of Christianity, and previous attempts of getting outsiders to follow their protocol has been met with resistance. These official alternatives not only exclude anything identifiable to Mormonism in their title, but they also embrace terminology that a wide variety of other Christian denominations also identify with. There is no shortage of people who believe that they are part of the Church of Jesus Christ, but who absolutely do not follow the surprising beliefs of the Mormons. In this 
podcast, the term LDS Church will be used because it is an abbreviation that is already widely accepted in daily use and has been the name of the official church website for years, despite now having acquired the name churchofjesuschrist.org. This sort of minutia is a microcosm of what is to befall anybody who dares attempt to traverse the strange and mysterious realm of Mormonism. Discussing the nomenclature and history of Mormonism without recognizing how the LDS Church will respond is a bit like submitting a legal opinion to the court without consulting a lawyer. Information on spiritualism, or even the Adventist movement, can sometimes be hard to come by, or lacking more information. But in stark contrast, the LDS Church offers an abundance of highly centralized information that covers even the most obscure topics about Mormonism. Surrounding the official releases of the LDS Church, are several news organizations, usually based out of Utah, that discuss and report on the information provided by the church. And beyond that, there are forums and discussion boards that cover everything Mormon under the sun. Whether it's the LDS Church's odd stance against facial hair, despite some of their most important early leaders sporting beards that could make a fur trapper jealous, or about the time they decided to go to war with the U.S. Army, there are an abundance of Mormon sources discussing a variety of aspects surrounding every imaginable Mormon topic. Even more, there are those non-Mormons who have dedicated their lives to exposing Mormon hypocrisy or outright lying with many going as far as to claim they are not a true form of Christianity at all. In response, the LDS Church naturally has a webpage addressing this concern, stating that indeed, Mormons are Christian. The LDS Church is a sprawling international organization with over 160 temples worldwide. While the LDS Church offers Sunday services in chapels, where anyone can participate regardless of their own beliefs, it is their temples that are far more sacred for the LDS Church and its followers. The only way anyone is allowed inside one of these architectural wonders is that they either need to be a member in good standing, or take an educational tour, naturally guided by an LDS member. The most famous LDS church temple in the world is the Salt Lake Temple in Temple Square, located in the capital city of Utah, which attracts over 5 million visitors annually. Most famously, the temple is home to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which has captivated audiences for generations. But the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints asks you not to call them by that name anymore and to please address them by their new name, the Tabernacle Choir of Temple Square, which safely removes the name Mormon from the title. 
The secrecy of the temple worship, despite all reports claiming that they are not much different from the more open chapel worship, has both enticed and repelled outsiders. Even the fact that Mormons worship in temples, a term often reserved for Jews, Buddhists, or Eastern Orthodox Christians, has westernized Christians skeptical. The LDS Church explains that temples go back to the Bible and are the original and forgotten place of worship that Mormonism has resurrected. In fact, the only place where the term church is ever really used is in the title of their official body. Furthering the mystique of the secret rituals of the LDS Church is that they share many similarities with the secretive Freemasonry organization, which the founders Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were members. Joseph Smith would have been about 21 years old at the time of William Morgan's disappearance by the Freemasons, and it is even claimed that Morgan's wife went on to become one of Joseph Smith's wives over a decade after the whole fiasco in and around Rochester occurred. Secret videos of the secret LDS rituals find that Mormons wear similar clothing and use similar handshakes and arm movements as Freemasons. Naturally, the LDS Church has a website explaining the similarities and differences between Freemasonry and Mormon rituals. Chapter 8, Part 2, The Legacy of Brigham Young While Joseph Smith was the original prophet of Mormonism, Brigham Young is a name that is more often associated with the LDS Church. Fearing for their lives after the brutal mob murder of Joseph Smith, the members of the church varied on what to do and who to follow next which was pretty common with new religions, as we saw with the Public Universal Friend or the Oneida community. But the majority chose to follow Brigham Young on an exodus across the American desert to reach the Mormon city of Zion. Members often likened the journey to that of Moses leading his people across the deserts of the Middle East, as did the members of the Oneida community when they made their way into the New York frontier. Brigham Young built Salt Lake City based on specific plans provided by Joseph Smith called the Plat of Zion. Today, Salt Lake City has the widest streets and the largest city blocks, about 660 square feet, in the nation because that is what the Plat of Zion dictated. The city is arranged in a grid around Temple Square, and the main grid streets always indicate your proximity to the Great Salt Lake Temple. Salt Lake City inspired this same city pattern to emerge anywhere Mormons were able to have a hand in city development, especially across Utah. But they are found all over the world. As important as Joseph Smith's Plat of Zion was for city development, 
Brigham Young didn't follow the plans precisely, even with the overwhelming belief that they were divinely inspired. Young himself even believed them to be divinely inspired, but with need of modification. For example, rather than having 24 temples at the city center, one temple, the Salt Lake Temple at Temple Square, was created. Ultimately, Young split with the deceased prophet on a variety of issues, but those who stayed loyal to Young saw him as a prophet with equal importance and power as Joseph Smith. Allegiance to Brigham Young is the uniting force for followers of the LDS Church where other, more fundamentalist varieties of Mormons might diverge. Members of the LDS Church believe Young and Smith were equally connected to God, so they do not see Young's divergences from Smith as problematic or antithetical to the Mormon religion. This is because of the concept known as continuous revelation, which is the belief that God is continually revealing new truths to the world. So Young, having lived longer than Smith, had a more refined interpretation of God's will than Smith did. Continuous revelation implies changing when new information is available. If God reveals something new now that goes against the original words of Joseph Smith, then Mormons are obliged to follow the newest version of the information that was provided by God. And this is what the followers did when the prophet Brigham Young diverged from Smith's teachings when they arrived in their new desert home. Perhaps nothing solidifies Brigham Young's reputation more than Brigham Young University, the nationally renowned university created and funded by the LDS Church. The LDS culture permeates the campus, enforcing a strict honor code which includes the importance of respecting the beliefs of others and abstinence of alcohol and non-marital sex. Many students arrive at BYU looking for a marriage partner and a bright career rather than the raucous college stereotype of drinking parties and sex. The strict standards go as far as making it against school policy to even camp with members of the opposite sex and prohibiting male students from growing beards. BYU is consistently ranked as one of the most conservative and religious schools in America, and it prides itself on that fact. And since Salt Lake City is a holy destination for all LDS members, people from all over the world attend BYU, giving them a higher level of diversity than what might otherwise be the case in a conservative Christian institution. They are highly regarded for a variety of programs, including information technology, engineering, and economics. Even more enticing is that BYU is one of the most affordable schools in the nation, which allows for the church to draw in the most talented clients that might not have the money to attend a more prestigious, but also more expensive, school. 
BYU highly encourages all attendees to live on campus and, after several years surrounded by and adhering to LDS culture, BYU hopes everyone leaves with their hard-earned degree and the religion that both embraced and supported them through that time. So many notable people have graduated from Brigham Young University that multiple extensive lists can be found online. The BYU alumni include author Stephanie Meyer of Twilight, actor John Hader of Napoleon Dynamite, politicians Harry Reid and Orrin Hatch, and inventor and physicist Philo Farnsworth. Even more, BYU is known for their association with sports and as a high-draft school for the NFL. The university has sister schools in Hawaii and Idaho, as well as a satellite campus in Jerusalem, Israel. Despite the highly religious aspect of the university, BYU has done a lot of quality secular work, demonstrating that a religious university can create unbiased studies. And in 2012, nearly 61 million people voted for a Mormon BYU alumnus to be President of the United States when Mitt Romney received 47% of the popular vote. Had he succeeded, he would have been the first Mormon leader of any country in the world. Chapter 8, Part 3 Manifold Pushback Against Mormonism With this sort of reputation, a high membership, landmark religious destination, world-class music and university, a strong focus on family values, and well-respected and well-known members, Mormonism should seem as mainstreamed in America as other well-known denominations of Christianity. But resistance against Mormon beliefs is still strong. For example, the popular satirical television show South Park created an episode focused on Mormonism and mocking the original Mormon prophet, Joseph Smith. Afterwards, the creators of the show went on to create a wildly successful Broadway musical named after the LDS sacred text, The Book of Mormon, in 2011, which had consistently won awards every year since. While other religious groups might respond with anger or condemnation, the LDS church uses it as an opportunity for free advertising making a sort of PR jujitsu move by using the momentum of the satire to gather further interest in joining the LDS church. This bait-and-switch tactic is not uncommon with the Mormon brand, where they often choose to remain relatively silent on popular criticism about their beliefs and instead respond with encouragement to join. This is not to indicate a Mormon receiving criticism doesn't understand or know about it. Often, it is the opposite. Nearly any Mormon will gladly have a civil discussion about any disagreement or perceived misunderstanding about Mormonism under the right circumstances. 
More serious secular criticism has also been leveled against the LDS Church. For example, women are often encouraged to take a secondary role to men, whom they are ideally married to young. As eager as women are to participate in their missionary program, they are delayed because the LDS Church wishes for them to focus primarily on finding a husband even before serving their time for the LDS Church. Recently, and to much excitement by their female members, the LDS Church has lowered the age from 21 to 19 so women could participate in their missionary work at a younger age. But that is still one year later than when men begin their volunteerism for the church. Men have other privileges over women, including achieving leadership positions in the LDS Church's clandestine hierarchy with men solely holding all positions of power throughout the organization's entire existence. In this respect, the LDS Church and the Catholic Church share many similarities. Then, there is also the fact that the LDS Church prohibits any form of homosexuality, and that includes within the student enrollment of Brigham Young University, despite not having to be an LDS member to attend the college. And these Mormon beliefs and policies become more mainstreamed as Mormon charter schools continue being approved across the country and receive taxpayer dollars. This is more concerning when it's recognized that membership of the LDS Church in the United States primarily lacks racial diversity, with less than 10% of its membership having any sort of Hispanic origin, and less than 5% of its membership having black or any other ethnically diverse origin. Unsurprisingly, this lack of diversity is also reflected in its leadership structure. It does not help their case that Mormons believe that darker skin was a punishment given by God to the Native Americans for destroying an ancient group of American Israelites that practiced the true form of Christianity. This claim would sound slanderously preposterous, provided that the Mormons didn't actually believe it, but they do. However, the LDS Church states the importance of bringing diversity into their religion now through citing a 1978 decree by then LDS Church president that the priesthood was now open to men of all colors. While this was an important step in the right direction, the highest levels of leadership in the LDS Church still completely lacks ethnic diversity. Perhaps the most powerful criticism of the Mormon beliefs comes from other Christians. Varying Christian denominations often see each other mostly as brothers and sisters regarding their faith, recognizing that despite any differences, the main principles of Christianity are more or less followed. That is not always so when it comes to traditional Christians' views on Mormonism. In the United States, Christianity is typically divided between Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox versions, 
all of which have precedents that go back centuries before the Western Hemisphere was even known by Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses, an offspring of Millerite Adventism, and Mormonism are the only two recognized in a category of an entirely American form of Christianity, having gained enough followers through their intense missionary programs. Nearly 1% of all Americans are Jehovah's Witnesses, and nearly 2% are Mormon, according to the Pew Research Center. In spite of Joseph Smith being strongly influenced by the Second Great Awakening and Protestant beliefs, Mormonism sits in a category all its own. Couple this with the fact that Mormonism is not even a 200-year-old religion, and it leaves many conservative Christians casting a suspicious eye on the LDS Church. Christian parents sometimes struggle with sending their children to BYU, despite the good programs and affordability, because they don't want them to be influenced by the Mormon religion. The LDS Church, setting aside its renowned political conservatism, holds some fairly radical beliefs and a structure all its own. Despite resembling a typically decentralized Protestant church at an individual chapel level, the structure of the LDS church is highly centralized, with a hierarchy of leadership that goes all the way to the top, similar to the Catholic church. One aspect of the LDS church that Christians and non-Christians have a hard time accepting is their belief that religious prophets are alive and continue to live among us to this day. Converts to the LDS Church are expected to accept that the living leader of their faith is also a truly legitimate prophet of God, something Catholics won't even proclaim about their Pope. The leader of the LDS Church is called, Americanly enough, the President. And he, because it is always a he, is considered a living prophet, seer, and revelator, according to the LDS Church. In 2020, the president and living prophet of the LDS Church is Russell Nelson, a lifelong LDS member. What does a modern Mormon prophet look like? Well, Nelson is a former surgeon a Korean War veteran in the Army Medical Corps. He worked at the Walter Reed Medical Army Center, studied at Harvard, and assisted in the first-ever open-heart surgery with mechanical dependency on the heart and lungs. The previous president, who died in 2018, was a Navy veteran with a strong connection to the Boy Scouts of America, and was appointed by President Reagan to the U.S. Task Force of Private Sector Initiatives. While many would agree that these men are exceptional, most would still fall short of embracing them as Christian prophets. But for Mormons, this has been normalized from the beginning. The secret rituals by the LDS leadership only compound the suspicion surrounding the wayward denomination. Like the Catholic Church, the LDS Church can excommunicate those they feel are going against their teachings, and punish those who don't stay clearly within their defined boundaries. 
Mormonism's most infamous criticism probably stems from their historical practice of polygamy, a belief that even Mormons themselves still have severe disagreements over and often are a central aspect to the Mormons who are not allowed to be or don't wish to be part of the LDS Church. Following the example of their prophet Joseph Smith, Many non-LDS Mormons point to the sacredness of a polygamous marriage despite it being illegal in the United States. These Mormons get around these laws often by not getting legally married to more than one wife, but instead spiritually married, seeking protection under cohabitation laws which allows them to live all with each other. Unlike the Oneida community, Women take a strictly secondary and largely more supportive role than the men. Even so, the men often consult their wives before making a final decision, which is why they claim decisions are jointly made. In an effort to become more compliant with the federal government when Utah was making a push for statehood, the LDS Church denounced all polygamous marriage, excommunicating any who were found practicing the act. Three wives, one husband, big love, and sister wives are all television shows that attempt to give insight into the other 4% of polygamous Mormon communities. The network's heavy focus on such a small fraction of the Mormon population is driven by the ratings of viewers drawn to the forbidden and taboo nature of polygamy. The LDS Church's strong stance against polygamy is seen by some other Mormon denominations as hypocritical and against the will of God. But the LDS Church was rewarded for its stance against polygamy for complying with the United States government on the matter. In a variety of ways, the LDS Church has been allowed to practice openly across the country and exert a powerful influence in the federal government where the polygamous sects just don't. Today, the LDS Church hardly resembles their 19th century origins, which went to literal war against the U.S. government. Now more than ever, the LDS Church continues to separate itself from the Mormon name, even though it was the prophet Mormon who had painstakingly hidden the whole history of their religious beliefs for everyone living today to know. The Mormon name often continues to carry the stigma of polygamy and lawlessness, which the LDS Church has carefully whitewashed away over the last century choosing instead to carry the reputation of safe, conservative, law-abiding Christians. Some more fundamental Mormons are concerned that the LDS Church has compromised too many values. This desire to feel accepted within the greater American cultural framework outside of Mormonism is palatable across the LDS Church. They state, Latter-day Saints believe that monogamy, the marriage of one man and one woman is the Lord's standing law of marriage. That is the first sentence in an article by the LDS Church on its public acknowledgement of Joseph Smith's polygamist practices. 
This heterosexual monogamous viewpoint strongly allies the LDS Church with all the fundamentalist forms of Christianity, who refuse to accept a concept of marriage that does not fit that definition. Removing the term Mormon from their identity allows for outsiders to easily switch from one monogamous heterosexual religion that worships Jesus Christ to another one without looking too closely at the details. It doesn't incite the shock value that the marriage pluralisms of John Humphrey Noyes and Joseph Smith do, which can be enough to cause a more conservative Christian to abstain from joining the LDS Church. And so the question really becomes, why are even so many Christians so cautious about the LDS and Mormon perspective? In the next section, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the Mormon beliefs and how they differ from other Protestant and Catholic forms of Christianity. Chapter 8, Part 4, At Odds with the Bible, The Book of Mormon's Alternative History of America. More foundational criticism of Mormonism is levied against their beliefs and origin story, with their founder and prophet Joseph Smith being a highly controversial subject. Born from the burned-over district of New York, Mormonism likely created more controversy for the United States government than anything else from the Second Great Awakening. The LDS Church minds these controversies closely, often positioning itself as a bemused welcomer of miracles or a disappointed onlooker of undeniable tragedies caused by early members of the Church, including Smith and Young. In many instances, it has taken decades for the LDS Church to fully accept the facts on some of the darker chapters in the Mormon Chronicles and many will argue that it has never fully accepted its role in the tragedies caused by their religious origins. Regardless, the Foundations of Mormonism offers insight into the creation of a new fracture in the prism of Christianity. The most divergent fissures in Christianity often took place so many hundreds of years ago that context and documentation can feel lacking. But since Mormonism was a creation of the 19th century, there is a lot more documentation surrounding the life of Joseph Smith that can give perspective into what people perceived as a miracle and whether it was more of a function of God or man. The story of Mormonism can draw parallels to so many other religious groups that it can give insight into other religions at the same time. The creation of a religion can be a driver for good deeds or a catalyst for violence and oppression. But even more, it has the ability to illuminate the quirky idiosyncrasies of the human mind. Travelers are often able to find the Book of Mormon next to the Holy Bible in the nightstand drawer of their hotel room. 
a testament to how ubiquitous the book has become. Every single word inside of this text came from a single source, a man by the name of Joseph Smith. How Joseph Smith conceived of these words and discovered these words do matter, but it is important to remember that the content found within the Book of Mormon is what Mormons believe came originally from God. To a Mormon, it doesn't matter too much about what other Christians think about the legitimacy of their version of Christianity. To them, the Book of Mormon is not only evidence that Mormonism is a legitimate form of Christianity, but that it is the only currently practicing form of Christianity that is correct and uncorrupted. Mormons believe that other Christians follow misled beliefs since Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox Christians all follow a debased and corrupted form of Christ's teachings. Their firmness in this belief is what drives them to proselytize and convert as many people as possible, because they hold the only true version of Christianity in their hands. With a living prophet to lead them through it all from the highest position in the LDS Church, it is their divine mission to bring the true light of God and Jesus Christ to all those who have, intentionally or not, lived a life in the darkness. This is the power of this book. What truths does it deliver that have swayed 16 million people across the planet to abandon their previous faith, or lack thereof, and embrace Mormonism? Because only 200 years ago, nobody knew of this strangely American religion. The Book of Mormon depicts that there was once an ancient Jewish settlement in America that flourished from a harrowing journey from Israel that was never documented by historians. The Book of Mormon goes as far as to claim the original Native Americans were Jews from Jerusalem, all of which made it to America over the period of several hundred years before the birth of Christ. It was in these ancient times that a set of gold plates first began to be written on, a sort of prehistoric history book describing the arrival of the Israelites in the lands of America. Then, the plates were hidden and later found by another, later group of Israelites that also came to America, who also wrote their history into the book as well. The Book of Mormon makes no claim that these events surrounding Jesus' life happened any differently than in the Bible. And, like most Christians, Mormons believe that after Jesus died and was resurrected in the Middle East, Jesus rose to heaven. But, right before Jesus left for heaven, he came over to see the Israelites in America and shared his knowledge with them as well. So, according to the Book of Mormon, everything written in the Bible is correct, it's just that the Bible would naturally miss the really important part where Jesus 
also came to America to see these other Christian Israelites who were all practicing the same religion in the New World, too. Since Jesus had already left the Middle East, those who dwelled in the Old World just never got to know about Jesus' American pit stop before ascending to heaven. The story goes far beyond this shocking revelation, though. Added to the gold plates were the teachings that Jesus left these ancient Israelite Americans to live as good Christians in peace and happiness in America, completely unbeknownst to the other side of the world where Christianity was also taking off. Then time and generations passed, until, at last, the dark day came when the prophet Mormon, hiding for his life, had written the final words on the gold plates which documented the terrible fall of the immense civilization that was built by these ancient American Christians. The fall came by way of a Christian tragedy that modern Mormons might draw parallels to today. The descendants of the once pious American Christians had ignored and corrupted the teachings of Jesus, and, turning away from his light, began to attack all the real remaining Christians in an ancient act of genocide. Through war and genocide, the true Christians of America were killed off. One of the last few true Christians to have survived this onslaught was the Prophet Mormon, who hid the gold plates with all of the true American Christian history written on it just before he too was killed. After all of the true Christians were killed, God decided to punish the pagan survivors by turning their skin darker, and who then began to practice beliefs of what we would now recognize as Native American beliefs. According to the Book of Mormon, an entire good Christian civilization was brought down to nothing more than a set of gold plates that were buried and forgotten in a land of dark-skinned savagery. The history of their entire pure and good people lay under the earth for centuries in a language that was now completely lost. This is where the gold plates stayed until Joseph Smith found them in 1827. In some ways, the birth of Mormonism can be likened to the birth of Islam. Like Muhammad, Smith found something in addition to the Bible. Both Smith and Muhammad had dreams involving angels and speaking with God. The Quran and the Book of Mormon are both divine translations into modern, prominent languages. But Mormons and Muslims do not accept the other's prophets' interpretations of God's word, which hold vastly different messages. But one of the most striking similarities between Islam and Mormonism is how they both claim the existence of Jesus and his story as real, but that later prophets came to share much more of the story, nullifying traditional Christian beliefs as outdated and wayward. Naturally, these golden plates from the prophet Mormon became a much sought-after relic 
for anyone who heard of this shocking new revelation from Joseph Smith. But he wouldn't allow anyone to see them for fear of the covetous greed of others. Smith knew they were priceless, and so he hid them in secrecy from everyone for their safekeeping. After he interpreted the plates into English, he gave them back to an angel, so almost nobody had ever got a chance to see them. Therefore, this secrecy surrounding the golden plates have made Mormon critics suspicious, having never been given proof that Smith's claims were real. Another problem about this history is that this ancient American civilization of Israelites has never been found in any archaeological or genetic evidence. While different genetic varieties of Native Americans can be found across both North and South America, all of them have shown genetic similarities to the original class of humans arriving from Asia much earlier than claimed in Smith's story. None of the evidence has found that people with similar genetic ancestry as Israelites of about 2,000 years ago were populating the Americas in vast quantities that the Mormons purport, or in any quantity at all. Something else we know today that wasn't fully understood in Smith's time is how the cause of darker skin tones is directly related to how much sun a person's ancestors had been exposed to. Whether Mormons refuse to acknowledge that Smith's race of white people never existed in America, they, intentionally or not, insult the people who truly did thrive and develop in the Americas, a tapestry of real flesh-and-blood peoples that had their own gods, miracles, and religious leaders. It's an insult all too commonly understood by the true original peoples of the Americas. The story in the Book of Mormon basically says that, yes, these Native Americans were around back then as well, but that they were the wicked ones who killed off all the white Christians who were really here first. Couple this with the fact that Joseph Smith lived in the same time and region as the Holland and Ogden land companies who threatened, used, and deceived the native Haudenosaunee of New York to take their land. It was at this time Smith walked across the same native land, claiming to find a book about a race of white people who were really there first, despite now knowing that they never actually existed. To claim this is harmless or just a mere difference of opinion is not accepting facts over fiction. Where is the concept of continuous revelation on this? How does a belief like this impact the quality of a university like BYU? Naturally, these facts bring up hard questions for those who practice the Mormon faith. But the LDS Church has eventually come around to acknowledging other errors and wrongdoings by both Joseph Smith and the Church. In time, there may be a continuous revelation on this erroneous belief as they had done with polygamy. But to acknowledge that Christian Israelites never made it to America 
might come too close to unraveling the entire faith. The Book of Mormon and the LDS Church have other teachings that are not followed by traditional Christians, too. Maybe the most shocking is that God was once a human of flesh and bone, just like any person you meet today, and that he lived on a different planet and had to progress to become God. In this same manner, if done correctly, any person alive today can become a capital G God in the same way as God himself did. This aspect of Mormonism is not so often highlighted to outsiders. Also, unlike most other Christians, Mormons don't believe in hell, but instead believe in plural heavens. There are three tiers to the heavens, and once you are sent to one of them, you are in that bucket for eternity. The worst of society goes to the lowest tier of heaven, but they are overjoyed because they get to bask in the spirit of the Holy Ghost, something Mormons believe is separate from God and Jesus. Mormons would see this as the place that both homosexuals and murderers go, and eternity will be a joyous pleasure because that is the effect the Holy Ghost has upon all of the souls it shines upon. Any and all good people who are not Mormon, or not quite good enough Mormons, end up in a second heaven, which contains Jesus Christ. So, Mormons have no qualms with traditional Christians claiming that if they live a good life, that they will go and be with Jesus one day. Mormons agree with that completely. But, if they were a true Mormon, the LDS Church teaches that they can become gods themselves, provided they complete the same sort of progression God has done in his prior life. And so, while Mormons might acknowledge other forms of Christianity as good enough to be with Jesus after they die, true Mormons are looking to become immortal gods which get to rule over entire universes in charge of trillions of planets just like the god that allegedly rules over us now. Another traditional Christian criticism is the LDS Church practice of tithing, providing a certain percentage of each member's income to the church, which originated under Joseph Smith's form of communal living. The importance of the communal lifestyle in Mormonism was just as strong as it was in Oneida, despite Smith and Noyes espousing very different beliefs. Now, at this point, it might seem very easy to pick on Mormonism. However, like I said earlier, Mormonism can give us insight into other religions, and it can give us insight into how our minds work. So, in the next section, I want to use Mormonism to help bring us to, once again, reflect about ourselves. 
Chapter 8, Part 5, Flipping the Script, Religious Reflections in Mormonism. Mormon beliefs can feel unreal for some, and just downright heretical for others. So, when more traditional Christians want to speak out against these beliefs, the standard procedure is to cite scriptures in the Bible that stand against things like plural heavens, the practice of tithings, and human progression into a god. But it's important to remember that the LDS Church believes they're the only one with the uncorrupted, accurate information from Jesus. So Mormons will even use the Bible to deliver evidence that the LDS Church is actually correct. And they do this despite their belief that traditional Christianity is wayward. The question of who is right is less fascinating than what this tells us about religion more broadly. With so many people of faith in this world, it's hard for many to acknowledge that as unbelievable as some of the concepts found in the Book of Mormon or stated by Joseph Smith might sound, that the Bible, Torah, and Koran are not exactly steeped in facts themselves. It's a sensitive topic, but acknowledging that books of faith in and of themselves are not scientific inquiries into the nature of the universe, is not heretical. Some people will take pride in this fact, proving the power of a passionate faith over cold, hard science. But due to the unverifiable nature of religious texts, it allows for many competing and equally irrational views of the afterlife to coexist because, by definition, it is a place that cannot currently be accessed and measured. And even those who have medically died and come back from the great beyond, they don't report anything that vindicates any of the faiths with any more certainty over another. It is the same problem that occurred in spiritualism. Anybody can claim they know what's on the other side, but no one has to actually prove it to be considered valid. In all of these texts, people commit miracles, live for hundreds of years, and interact with the divine directly. Evidence has been shown that many people of the stories in the Bible come from even more ancient parables, making it likely that all Abrahamic religions have their roots in the depths of history before the advent of writing, vestiges of yet more antiquated cultures and beliefs. People pore over this ancient lore and choose what to decipher as proof that the gods or God are true. With their origins obscured by the shrouds of time, People today are left grasping at the specters of meaning gleaned from the hoary texts of long-dead cultures that have claimed to have deciphered the sole truth and meaning of the universe. The context in these books has changed so drastically over the course of millennia that it's difficult to fully grasp the meanings of their distant world. 
The Mormons, in a way, acknowledge this problem for those attempting to decipher the meaning of the Bible. It isn't a great leap to realize that multiple translations through a variety of humans across time and culture might muddy up a divine message. But this is the sort of problem that Mormons would argue is solved precisely by following their religion. The Book of Mormon allegedly is almost like the Bible, but is basically written straight from Jesus' hand, put into a time capsule, and then opened and translated directly from the visions had by Joseph Smith, a prophet of God. The competing interpretations of other denominations of Christianity versus Mormonism often seem to go into a sort of showdown on who can decipher ancient text and culture more accurately than the other with a limited and highly suspect pool of evidence. Whether it's Mormonism or any other religion, it seems that supernatural elements need to play a role. Is this because divine beings are true and there are just a lot of misinterpretations out there? Or is there an insight into the human mind that can be found here? Should faith supersede evidence or should evidence inform faith? Seemingly harmless stories like lost histories of Israelite civilizations in America can have Mormons distrusting scientific evidence that does not fit this narrative. A Pew poll found that only 22% of Mormons believe that evolution is the best explanation for the origins of humans on Earth. Only Jehovah's Witnesses scored lower, with 8% believing in evolution. Despite the LDS Church holding no official position on evolution, even having a seemingly tacit acceptance of it, Mormons are least likely to accept the scientific evidence of evolution. Instead, Mormons are far more likely to believe in a story where God was once a mortal being who progressed to godhood and is looking after Mormons today to bring them to the same status. While true mysteries and seeming miracles happen every day in the vast array of the sciences, Mormons choose their own mysteries that have little or no factual evidence to support them. One of the best examples is gay conversion therapy, which is a non-evidence-based practice which the Mormons used to help homosexuals become straight again. Although every major scientifically-backed organization speaks out against it, Mormons still embrace it. David Matheson, a well-known Mormon conversion therapist, came out gay himself, admitting the practice doesn't work. The fact that a homosexual was a leader of the Mormon movement for eliminating homosexuality should alone make Mormons pause for a moment. Blinding themselves from science rather than practicing continuous revelations with its newest evidence, the LDS Church and its associated university will always be suspected of wanting to change the facts that don't match the LDS Church teachings. 
This quirky trait by Mormons can also be said about any other form of Christianity, or any religion for that matter, that suspends the acceptance of evidence in place of a hope or wish. Copernicus and Galileo brought up inconvenient evidence for Christians by determining that the earth revolved around the sun rather than vice versa. Today, it is taken as common sense by Christians and non-Christians alike that the earth does indeed revolve around the sun, and faith in Christianity seems no worse off for it. Yet, back then, religious people insisted that blinding oneself to the truth was the only way to truly show appreciation for God. Anyone who insisted on seeing the true physical evidence left by God in the form of the universe have been met with humans that insisted that their facts were wrong and believing them is a breach of faith worthy of punishment. Charles Darwin, who lived at the same time as Joseph Smith, was a naturalist in a field dominated by religious figures. This was because Christian leaders felt confident that animals and people alike were created directly from God, and there was nothing more to it than that. To look at the process any closer was inviting the condemnation of heresy. A naturalist's job was to merely describe nature through the taxonomy system, not to ask how these species came to be. To stay the hands of inquisitive minds because the results might be at odds with the Christian doctrine should give any Christian pause who understands that if God exists, it is his true creation, not a human-generated alternative to it, that should be what humans embrace. Yet, almost instantly when Darwin discovered the true origin of species, many intelligent Christians who were highly regarded people of science themselves rejected the theory of evolution for baseless creationism. Ultimately, albeit slowly and not yet completely, most Christians went on to accept evolution, and once again, Christianity is no worse off for it. But this comes at a cost. A backwash of denial and refusal must be dealt with by society at large when people of faith have a hard time accepting the very facts God has left them to decipher. There was no parting of seas, turning water into wine, or magic golden plates when Copernicus or Darwin stumbled upon their truth of the universe. But yet, it is the people who provided evidence that are treated with the utmost suspicion over and over again. Just as when Houdini exposed the practices of spiritualism, he was directly accused of being a medium and many nursed that suspicion in spite of the facts. When the Christian doctrine insists in a false belief for so long, Despite a more exciting truth being revealed, the backslide of doubt and denial lasts for centuries. Today, 
Debates are still being held in the halls of government on the teachings of evolution because a few Christian fundamentalists refuse to accept it as true. An insistence that a blind eye must be kept to the real truth of the universe and God. And so any Christian that might be quick to doubt the Mormons should first take a hard look at their own beliefs. Mormonism doesn't only share parallels with ancient forms of Christianity, but with other New Age religions as well. Scientology is another well-known, relatively new global religion that can't help but be compared to Mormonism. Both Mormonism and Scientology have an eccentric founder who claims a supernatural story that might more accurately be described as science fiction. Although Scientologists number far lower than the number of LDS members, both have a highly centralized and a comparatively secretive structure. Both have found significant financial success within this structure and compose of well-known members. And for this reason, both religions have their authenticity questioned. There is also the disappointing similarity that those who leave the faith suffer various forms of harassment by those who remain as members. And so now that we've gotten enough background on the LDS Church and Mormonism, I want to focus on its founder, Joseph Smith, and I want to delve into how the records reflect how authentic of a person he seemed to be, and whether he was a charlatan or a true American prophet. listening to this episode of No Character Limit. Every episode, the sources that I used are located in the description if you would like to check them out. In addition, please consider liking, rating, and reviewing if you enjoyed this podcast, as each one goes to help further the reach of this podcast for new people to hear. Each episode requires hours in research, writing, recording, and editing. So if you feel that what you just heard is worth a donation of any size, please go to the description and follow the links for that. Each donation comes with a free PDF copy of a writing piece of your choice, no matter the size of your donation, and you get a lot of extra features with that, including a lot of the artwork and graphs and pictures, as well as the descriptions that I don't include in the podcast. 
if you would like updates for new episodes. You can follow No Character Limit at mastodon.world. And finally, if you have a question, comment, or even a correction, please feel free to reach out at no character limit at protonmail.com. Thank you again for listening.